This is Davine with Zoe's Club, and we're going to talk about mentoring in the workplace. Once again, these are recorded for educational purposes only. We hope you enjoy the information we're sharing with you, and we also hope that it helps you to challenge yourself to do something a little different. So let's get right into it. Who are my mentors? When we're talking about mentoring in the workplace and we want to identify who are our mentors, first we want to identify why do we even need a mentor? What is it about us that makes us think we need somebody else to teach us something? You know, I'm going to be real honest. We all need mentors. We all need somebody to help strengthen us in areas that we might be weak in, or we need somebody that's going to help challenge us in new ways. So those mentors are invaluable. So identify first what you want to grow in. What are some of the areas when you're looking about, okay, who do I need for that mentor? What do you want to grow in? What do you want to be better at? For me, it was very simple. I wanted to be a better communicator. I know, haha, that's funny. Here I am talking all the time and I get paid to talk, which is even more hilarious. But communication was something that was really important to me because I wanted to be able to express the things that I knew or wanted to share or even a sales pitch. I wanted to express them in a way that it would be comfortable, would be something that somebody would want to embrace in that conversation and not be scared to death and running the other way you know how you see salesmen they'll come up and first thing you do is you're thinking oh my god here they are they got their clipboard and you're running the other way so be careful about that so communication was what I wanted to get better at and you know what I wanted to be excellent in my family and I wanted to raise an excellent family so I looked for mentors there when I first got married I was a lousy cook I mean I couldn't even make ham and beans and them turn out right so I wanted to find somebody that was a good cook. I went and spent the day with a lady that made the best peach cobbler you ever tasted in your life. Spent a few hours with her, made some peach cobbler, and to this day, I'm so grateful she invested that time in me. Mine were organization, sales, business, money management, personal growth, all of those things that help make somebody a well-rounded person. I like the way Andy Stanley put it. He said, the value of a life is dependent on how much you're willing to give away. I'll repeat it again. The value of a life is determined by how much you're willing to give away. So when I looked at all the mentors I've had in my life, and I've had a lot of them, I've been so grateful for them because they all had something in those areas that I wanted to be better at. So look at that. So then you've got your mentor pool. How do you pick them? How do you know who's going to be that perfect mentor for you? It's important that you have three. Now, they don't have to be three flesh and bone people. They can be books. They can be YouTubes, TED Talks, podcasts, webinars, just like you're listening today. Friendships, choosing your friends wisely, friends that are going to build you up and strengthen you, not those that are going to drag you down. What about your work family? And yes, I called them a work family because when you're working together eight hours or more a day, they become just like family. What about the people you look up to? They could be in the community. They could be your next door neighbor. They can come from all walks of life. But these mentors are going to be there just strictly for you to look at, to select or choose, to pick to make you a better person, to help you feel more fulfilled or stronger in an area that you're wanting to grow in. 
inside of us, we all have goals. So I look at these mentoring goals. Is it a training goal? A training is surrounding yourself with those that are going to help you up your game. They're going to help you in your business and your home in just a, it could be baseball. If you're a baseball player, they could be somebody that's just going to really help you hone in those skills. What about your inherent goal? That the goal that is born within you to strive to be successful in something. You've got to look at that inherent goal. And what about your personal goals? You know, some of us, we sit there and we, we forget that we even have to have a goal. We just take each day as it comes and we don't think about it. But we all need to set personal goals in our life of what we want to do. Because if we don't set them, if we don't write them down, if we don't solidify them, we're never going to change. So this is where, once again, I'm going to tell you, you have to know yourself. You have to be honest. What are your strengths? What are your personal strengths that you know you're really good at? And it's okay. It's okay to say, hey, I know I'm good in this area and I know I'm weak. Because what's your difficulties? What am I weak in? Those things that are difficult for me. I want to know how to make them better. I'm terrible with laundry. I hate to confess it, my laundry room is always an absolute mess. My house can be good, but my laundry room just looks like a cyclone hit it. I don't know where that stuff produces from. So looking at ways that you can make it an easier task or make that difficult part of your life easier, you want to research it. Search who's doing a better job at it. I love Pinterest. I mean, oh my gosh. I wish Pinterest was there when I was younger. I wouldn't have to buy 40 million books on how-to guides. I could go to Pinterest and read them. But is it important to you? What is important to you? These are things that you have to identify when you're looking at your ethics, when you're looking at your character, when you're looking at your strength, and when you're looking at how you're going to spend your time, what is important? Where do you personally need to grow in those areas to make be more successful? These are always important things to do. So I'm looking at my mentor and I'm deciding, is this somebody I can grow with or learn from? So I've got to look at their personality. So it's not just about you. If you're doing a flesh and blood mentor, you want to look at their personality. Are they an introvert or an extrovert? Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Are they a giving person or are they a selfish person? You know, somebody might have the qualities that you're looking for, but you might clash personality-wise because you're so opposite to the point to where you would just drive each other crazy. So you've got to figure out, are they a giving person or a selfish person? I'm a very giving person, so for me to interact with a selfish person, it would be like speaking a foreign language to me. After giving and selfish, we're going to look at, are they a confidential person or a nosy person? Confidential person is going to keep the things that you shared with them private. A nosy person is going to possibly share everything that you've covered. You don't want that. You don't want to be the next example in another story. You want it to be a private conversation. So confidentiality makes much more sense in looking for those attributes for the personality of that mentor. Do they know how to listen? Or they just want to talk. I love to talk, but I also know when it's time to listen. So you have to know whether they like to listen or whether they like to talk. And which one are you needing? Because all of those four areas, as you look at them, introvert, extrovert, giving, selfish, confident or nosy, listening or talker, these personality traits are going to be very important when selecting that mentor. Here's we have to get into the personality types. Now, I'm going to confess, I love Snoopy. I just love the Peanuts gangs. Anytime you have a dog involved, I'm all in. And Snoopy and that Peanut gang is my friend. 
So whenever I was looking at personality types in a job, what better person to look at than the peanut gang and how their personalities all work together? We're going to talk about Snoopy, of course, my favorite. He's the joker and he's witty. What about Charlie Brown? He's that mother hen type. He's always nurturing everybody in the group. Then you have Linus, the cool cat. He's so calm. Linus is just that calm and consistent. Sally, oh my goodness. Sally's the cheerleader, the motivator, the social bug, the connector. Sally is all in, man. If you need it done, she's going to have her pom-poms out ready to help you get it done. Then you got Pigpen. He's that realist. He's all down to earth and he's going to make sure it's done. Schrader, he's your geek squad. He's your IT guy. He's the technical person that's going to make sure that you're actually going to fulfill that job that you need to. And honestly, if you're open with him and tell him what you need, he's going to give you a cheat sheet on how to get there quicker because he likes you. He's going to write the code. He's going to help you get that report done you needed or those quarries pulled just simply by knowing that he's that geek squad ready for you. Then you have Franklin the mentalist. He's resourceful. Franklin's always got a way to get it done. And there has to be one. There always has to be one. That opinionated, fussy Lucy. So when you work at all these work personalities, somehow they all work together, even though every one of them's different. I point this out because I want you to stop a minute in your workplace and look at your work family and think about which personality is each person. Now, the thing about the work personalities is you understand that each one has a job to do. They're not all a solo act, other than Lucy. Lucy's the only one that feels she's the solo act that has the five-cent opinion. But everybody else works as a team. And even Lucy comes out of the box and does as well. So if you learn to appreciate the different personalities in your workplace, you'll be able to utilize their strengths better. For instance, if I have a grumpy customer or a grumpy member, do I want to take them to Schroeder, the technical guy that's going to look at them and say no, because he don't like talking to people? Am I going to take them to Franklin, the mentalist? Maybe Franklin, not Schroeder. What about Linus? Yeah, I could take him to Linus. He's calm and collected, because remember we said earlier, calm is contagious. So Linus could take care of him, but call in Sally. Sally's that cheerleader that's going to motivate them and help them fix it because she has a way to help encourage people. These are the things you're looking at. Look at the work personalities and match them up with what you need to help you learn to grow in the job that you're wanting to do. So if I'm the mentee and I have a mentor, what are some tips that we together need to exercise? One is the accountability importance with a partner. You're accountable to that person, to be honest, to be faithful, to be responsible, to be quiet about your conversations, that they are definitely something that you don't share. What about, are you willing to be real with that person? Are you really to open up your heart and share the truth of what's going on to help somebody learn from a past mistake? Tell the truth. You always have to tell the truth. Sometimes it could hurt. There are ways you can say it without it hurting quite so bad, but being honest with it, I would much rather have an honest statement about something than for somebody to be nice and just say, oh, it's okay, and then behind my back, do something different. Stay focused. Why are you here? Yes, they have became a new friend in a different level, but why are you here? What are you wanting to learn off them? Don't rabbit trail. 
but stick to the game plan and learn what you can from them because time is precious. So give them your undivided attention and don't be distracted off of everything. And as you're going through, think before you respond. Don't just give an instant statement. You know, there's the blink philosophy where you blink and this is your decision. But I want you to stop and think a minute before you make that response because sometimes it could be the wrong response. And if you don't think a thought through or think a response through, you could say it in the wrong way. Unsolicited advice is never welcome. Just because they're a mentor or a mentee, if it's not asked, unsolicited advice is never welcome. I had a lady come in the other day and she was telling me that I needed to change a page on my Facebook because really you shouldn't do that. I put one of those apps that turns you older. So I took the picture of the app and I, you know, I'm good with that. But she said, you really need to remove that from your Facebook. Why? It's not me. It's an illusion of me based on an app. And if I'm that way, whenever I get 20 years later down the road, who cares? Don't take life so serious. But as she was saying it, I was like, hmm, I see. Unsolicited advice is never welcomed. <laughs> it's so true. Your physical health can attribute to your confidence. Sometimes we might not feel our best. We might have an ache or pain. And so we feel less than our best. And so our confidence level might be weaning. Be careful. When you're serving people, you stop worrying about yourself. You start worrying about how you can meet a need. So your physical health might attribute to your confidence, but you have to get out of that corner and say, you know what? I'm here to serve. And in doing so, you'll forget about those aches and pains many times. Your physical health attributes to your confidence. So be careful. So you're going to kick, fix that. So we're going to look at the characteristics. That's a lot going on here on mentoring. You didn't think there would be that much here, but there's a lot to mentoring. Those characteristics of a mentor. Look at their heart. Do they have a compassionate level? Are they kind or are they cruel? Do they have the ability to learn or to teach? A lot of people have the ability to teach, but they don't have the ability to learn. And the thing about being a mentor is you probably learn more than the mentee. So that willingness to learn and to teach is going to be very important. And their willingness to help. Are they willing to share those experiences, whether it's good or bad? Because it's important that you're willing to be open and honest with it. And their actions, do they attribute to positive attitudes and good deeds? Because their model actions are going to show what type of character they have. And you have to look at all of these things. And I'm telling you this because I want you to stop and think a minute before you ever get out in there and start throwing yourself at people or trying to share your heart with people because not everybody wants it. Not everybody wants to take the time. Not everybody feels they have enough value to even give it to you. So usually your best mentors are the ones that don't realize that's their strength. So just think about that. While I'm here, I want to stop a minute and I want to give you a couple thoughts. When you're looking at that characteristic of that mentor, it's not in a judgmental fashion, but it's strictly in looking for the absolute best. Whenever I wanted to grow in something, I looked for what was the best attribute. There's good, better, best. I could work with somebody good. I could work with somebody better. 
But I always wanted to work with the best option or the best person for that job. So I looked hard before I started saying, hey, will you work with me on teaching me this? Or will you help me understand this a little better? And then you identify how much time you want to take out of their life. You don't want to just tell them, hey, I've got this and I want you to be my mentor and I'm going to call you every Friday at seven o'clock at night or five o'clock during dinner so that you can be my mentor. You don't want to do that. You want to strike up friendships. There are roadblocks to being a mentor. The thought process. That thought process, do you have an understanding of the differences in the actions that are taking place between your interaction with each other? Do you have your own filter system in line the way it should be? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to accept what somebody is sharing with you? Because those thought processes are so important. What about the actions? Those selfish actions or codependent personalities or nosy gossipy people? Those are hazard signs. I look at those as those warning cones as you're going down the street. These things are important to realize about that person. And are they doing things for selfish gain or are they grumpy? You know, that grumpy person is always just, ah, here she comes again. You have to look at those roadblocks in that characteristic because they will make a huge difference in how much time. They could be the best at something, but even at the best at something, if there's roadblocks in the way, a better choice might be your option instead of the best. So be careful on those characteristics and those roadblocks. We're going to look at those key ingredients. They need to have balance and wisdom in their presentation or in their interaction with you. Your actions are visible to others, but are you willing to share the good and the bad? This is key to growth. Are you willing to share with that mentor what's going on in your life so that they can share what's going on in theirs or how they made it through something like that? Those key ingredients are going to be so important, knowing wisdom and balance. So when you're communicating, and we talked about filter systems and roadblocks earlier, this is where it all kind of goes crazy. So I'm going to go a little bit slow. Remember we talked about how communication was so important because not only did you have to be able to share it, but you had to be able to hear it and how all of these things combine together within your filter system. So we're going to break it down a little bit and a little slower. If you want to write it down, if you want to just listen to this part over and over again, there's a lot of meat here. You're only listening to 7% of my words, 36% of my voice inflection, and 57% of my body language. Since you can't see my body language, you're only listening to a small portion of the words that I'm saying because we're in a webinar or we're in a podcast. So I've already lost half of the ability to share the information that I was sharing with you. Now in your own brain, you can produce 650 words a minute. I can probably produce more than 650 words a minute because I'm hyper. I say 150 of those words, The other 500 have to come out in my body language. So once again, you're only seeing a fraction of what's being said. So that body language is so important when you're communicating with that mentor or mentee. So looking at those two things, I'll repeat. 7% of my words are being heard. 36% of my voice inflection. 57% of my body language. If I can produce 650 words a minute in my little bitty brain, 
I can only say 150 words a minute, which don't laugh. I know I could probably say it a little more, but 150 is the average. So 500 has to come out. So what you're not seeing is my hands wave, my feet move, me slide to the side, me look at the wall, because my body language still has to be involved in my conversation for the communication to come through a microphone. While I'm going through all of this, that thought process of a person has to be embraced or thought through that filter system of their mind. Now, imagine I have a big giant jar of ice cream toppings, those little bitty pebble things, sprinkles in this big giant jar. I have to the tune of 40 million of those little bitty beads in that big jar, 40 million of them. That's my subconscious. That's the things that I don't even think about, the subconscious part. On top of that big jar of 40 million sprinkles, I have a little bitty jar and it only has 20 to 40 pieces of sprinkles. That's my conscious thought process that I'm dealing with. The magnitude of 40 million versus 20 to 40 pieces of information per second are actually what's going to be received. That is minute compared to my own filter system of what I've got to get through to have that conversation. Then you're dealing with the brain. In that brain, you have 60,000 thoughts a day. And out of that 60,000 thoughts a day, 98% of them are repeated thoughts. So every time you're frustrated at somebody, that repeated thought is in that 98% because 80% of those are negative. So I only have 2% of new thoughts a day. That is what is amazing to me. I know this, this communication one, when I told you I wanted the best, this communication part to me is a lot of things to think about. So you have to think out of 60,000 repeated thoughts a day and 98% of them are repeated thoughts and 80% of them are negative repeated thoughts. My potential for new thoughts is 2% and 80% of my day is stinking thinking. That is horrid. All of that has to go in that communication. All of that has to get through to that brain so that that mentor will be able to help the mentee go through that 40 million sprinkles of subconscious to get to the 20 and 40 pieces of gold. Wow. When I cover all that with you and we're talking about these simple things, they seem so simple because it's in your subconscious. But you have to make a plan to on purpose listen have the goals to change, have the goals to listen and find the value, the gold nuggets, those 20 pieces of gold in those sprinkle jars that are gonna change your life. And somebody gave you their 2% of their time to get there. Amazing, absolutely amazing to me. So we have a tremendous potential in our workplace, when we allow people to communicate back and forth and work as teams, not just individuals, we allow them to revolutionize our workplace and to radically change the development of the potential in our work, in our work zones, because they feel like they have more input, more value, they're involved, they interact, they improve. 
I love the way Andy Stanley shares all this, and I'd love for you to go to his Tremendous Potential workshop because what he shares is wonderful to think about allowing people to really become a team. We say, yay team, we buy a shirt, we put the logo on, we have everybody wear the same color. Some of us wear the vest, some of us wear the hats. But actually to be an emotional, physical team makes a huge difference in our work zone. So select the right mentor for where you want to grow, who you want to reach out to, connect to encourage, and reflect on the success of that relationship. One day in a mentor could make a huge impact in your life. One day with a mentor can make a huge impact in your life. You have to be faithful, available, and teachable. How are you measuring up? Are you faithful? Are you available? Are you teachable? Or are you an island? Some people call it a silo. But you want to wonder, you want to wonder in that business, do they really want to grow and be a team? There's no um, showboats here. There's no solo acts in a business, but it's a great team working together. Tips to discover success. Success comes from a high degree of concern for others. Success comes from a high degree of concern for others. So you want to know that your staff is strong, your company is strong, your community is strong, your personal life and your coworkers' life. Why is that important? Why would you say my company or my community? What happens if a business closes? How many employees do they have? How many homes have just lost an income that needed to strive? How about my staff? Do I care if that person is sitting in that seat? Or do they have to downsize because maybe somebody didn't pull their weight and they lost a few sales they shouldn't? Success comes when I care about the person sitting right beside me, that I'm willing to go the extra mile to do what's right because it's right. It's the right thing to do. There was a lady that said, super chickens die, but normal chickens thrive. Her name was Margaret Hefferman, if I can say her name right, Margaret Heffernan. She said, super chickens die, but normal chickens thrive. Well, I live on a farm. So when she said that and I heard that, I was like, hmm. So first thing I did was go out to my chicken coop. You know, you got to live it to really believe it. So I sat there and I have about 35 chickens and I just watched them. We put a big old bucket out of feed every day and we you know, throw the corn and the meal in the feed bucket. And I watched and that big old, big old hen, she popped down there and she was eating the, eating the feed. And then a little bitty chicken came and she'd nudge it away and she'd eat. And she'd have to get full before the little chickens could come eat the feed. And I thought, well, hey, that's not right. Then turned around and it got nighttime. I'm not going to watch them all day. I got stuff to do. It got nighttime and I thought, you know, I heard about a pecking order. So I'm going to find out what a pecking order is. I had just gotten the chickens. It was new for me. So on the chicken line, I had this little roost that I made with sticks. Well, actually, my husband did. And on this roost, I started noticing it went from bigger to smaller. And I mean, I got mad. Because them chickens were pecking each other, moving down the line. You're in my spot. I'd never witnessed this. So these chickens actually were lined up based on size, based on who was bigger and meaner and who was the scrawniest little bitty chickens at the very bottom of the roost. The big ones were at the top, the small ones were at the bottom. And I thought, that's what they mean by pecking order. You know, nature tells us a lot, but we don't always listen. So it's important for you to think about that. That super chicken at work, the one that's always doing everything, you could really overwhelm that one. Just because they're good at something, giving them something else, isn't 
isn't good for them for two reasons. One, if you're giving them all your attention, everybody else says, what value do I have? What about they get tired or they find a new job because they feel overworked because that super chicken gets all the attention. So they say, hey, I can't take this anymore. I got to find a new job. They're gone. That steady Eddie is always there. Steady Eddie, always doing his job, making no waves, getting things done. He's actually thriving in the company, but you didn't notice him because you were too busy on the super chicken. So what I'm telling you is give each person time. Some might need more time than others, but everybody in the company needs time. Everybody needs somebody to acknowledge them and the work that they're doing. So equal time for equal employees based on their need. So the results of mentoring. You've got a company that is looking and strong and matched up with mentors. The mentoring is going to strengthen the company because you're sharing knowledge. You're sharing training. So that person is going to learn a lot faster than the one that's been there 30 years because that 30-year employee is going to be able to share what they're doing. You're also, besides transferring knowledge, you're building strong friendships. You're also retraining, retraining them on reconnecting because that's something society has stopped doing is connecting. I don't want to say it's the cause of the phone or the apps, but the connections face-to-face -face are so important. So that work environment is going to feel much more stable because they're actually interacting together. Your performance and your profits are going to go up. Your sense of respect and value are going to take place in a much more exponential time or exponential measure because there is so much more value within the company as they're mentoring each other. So we hope, as we shared all of this information about mentoring, that you found a way for your company to grow, thrive, strengthen. I've worked with hospitals, I've worked with businesses, I've worked with nursing homes, I've worked with career centers, a lot of different areas trying to help them find ways to find mentors in their life, to find somebody that's gonna be there beside them whether it's on a personal level, whether it's a financial level, or whether it's an employment level. Have a great day, and thank you again for hearing Zoe's Club, Mentoring in the Workplace. Zoe's Club, Zoe's Club, we come together in Zoe's Club. We're saving money, is so much fun, all in Zoe's Club. Reading, learning, sharing, Contact Ozark Federal Credit Union at 573-686-7221. Membership eligibility required. Federally insured by NCUA.